Welcome to the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Starr. We've got Eddie Johnson here to talk NBA basketball. Super excited about this. How are you doing, Eddie? I'm doing well. I'm so happy to have you on. We have a great game to go over and a bunch of cool th- stuff to talk about. So we'll start off with a, what did you think of that comeback against the Timberwolves yesterday? Well, I thought it was tremendous. I mean, it's a young basketball team. And my expectations are not high. Other than I just want them to continue to improve every game. I, mean, I remember when I was a young player and we were losing in Kansas City and, and Cotton Fitzsimmons, you know, used to always remind us. He said, look, that's okay. Just keep playing to get better and it'll pay dividends in the future. And it did. And so me, that's all I want out of these young guys is play hard, play unselfish, and just make progress from game to game. Yeah, Booker and Warren were playing amazing. Chris had the three. Bender had the three. They were playing pretty well. Uh, the point guards, point guards, Ulis and, uh, Mike James, they're, they're, they're playing decent, but, uh, it, that, those, it was those four mostly. Bender and Warren were just going off. And it was crazy because this Timberwolves team is pretty good. I mean, we got Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Jimmy Butler. I mean, Jeff Teague is pretty good. I mean, he was an all-star with the Hawks when they had four all-stars there. It's a pretty good team, and the Suns caught them, and it didn't seem like they were having a bad, the, the Timberwolves were having a bad game, like they caught them on an off night. I mean, the Suns were on a back-to-back at home, and the Timberwolves had several days off. So it's a pretty impressive win. No, it, it truly was. And look, Minnesota is going to be a, a 50-win team before it's all said and done. They're young. They're still trying to find their way. I think it's a little difficult for Jimmy Butler right now to really put his stamp on his team. I think he wants these young guys to maybe, you know, improve at a rapid rate in regards to knowing how to win. I mean, talent-wise, I mean, Cardinal Towns Jr. And, and 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 Andrew Wiggins and, you know, and Teague, I mean, they're all quality basketball players. But the key thing is to win, to know how to win. Now, Teague does. I mean, he's on a 60-win team in Atlanta. Uh, but it's going to come together for them. Uh, defensively, they seem to be lacking right now, and that's what the Suns took advantage of. I mean, 70 points between two players. I mean, that, that's that's cause for a loss, it's, it, you know, especially when, you know, you're shooting 40% on top of that. So credit the Suns all-around game. And the Timberwolves, though, I, I pretty much surmise they'll be a playoff team before it's all said and done. Yeah, I think they'll maybe be the fifth, sixth seed in the West. Um, as long as they can get together. I mean, uh, Taj Gibson and Jimmy Butler trying to instill um, Tibbs' system from Chicago on defense and really trying to get those young guys. But I mean, Wiggins and Towns are not exactly, I mean, we thought Wiggins would be when he got drafted, but they're not exactly defensive stalwarts. Um, and then they're just trying to, they're very athletic. They have a lot of ability to get better on the defensive end. It just it takes some time, like you said. Yeah, I mean, and they'll get it. I mean, they'll get it. I, I think the urgency of it is going to make them really concentrate more. Uh, Tom Thibodeau is obviously not going to let them relax. I mean, he stands up more than any coach I've ever seen in the history of the game. So, I mean, it, it, it's going to come together for them. But, you know, look, the season started early. That's what I'm trying to tell people. You know, they, they're very critical of a lot of things that's going on in the NBA. And, and the one thing I do try to protect the players on is, you know, their body clocks weren't used to starting two weeks earlier. They didn't have a long training camp like they normally do. And with a lot of these teams making new additions, it takes a while for it to all come together. So I'm going to be more patient. I'm not going to be the prisoner of the moment and start saying, okay, Cleveland's not going to come out of the East and <laughs> Boston's going to win 70 games and 
uh, OKC is, is, is going to struggle to make the playoffs. See, those are people that's hoping those things happen. Yeah. I know those things aren't going to happen, and eventually it'll work itself out. Yeah, I was just telling someone, someone that yesterday, I mean, OKC is too much talent to not really be a playoff team, too much experience. Just like you said, totally. Same thing about the Cavs. Um, as a player, were you ever part of a comeback win as exciting as that against such a loaded team? And what is that? Well, just answer that one first. Uh, as a player, like, what are, what does these wins mean? How, what were you a part of? Well, you know, I've been a part of a lot of those. I mean, I, I played in, Eric, I played in almost 1200 games. Ooh. I mean, I, I've, I've been a part of any kind of scenario you'd want to imagine within the NBA. Yeah. But the bottom line is you just never give up. I mean, with, with, look, with, with the invention of the 24 seconds shot clock, no NBA game is safe. Yes. And and young players don't understand it. Veterans do. Uh, no lead is safe. I mean, even the Suns at the end. I mean, the Timberwolves had a chance. With, with 47 seconds left, I think they were down eight or nine, and they actually had a chance to make it interesting. So you, you, you can never relax 24-second shot clock. You can never relax when you can foul somebody or you can get call timeouts, move the ball up the half court. An NBA game is never over. And that's the beautiful part of the NBA game. And that's one of my negatives with the college game is that I don't understand why they don't adapt NBA rules because it would make the college game much more exciting. I mean, how crazy is it to have a, a, a last second attempt and you only have two seconds, but yet you got to go 94 feet to do it? Yeah, I mean the same thing with the college game on the in terms of uh, the second clock, like you said, the just all of it. You're just like really okay, okay, um, definitely. Um, what does a, t- a win like this do for the Suns? Like it brings them together, it gets them to. And this thing you said earlier about knowing how to win. Can you break that down a little bit more? Well, it's knowing how to win. I mean, in understanding the shot clock, understanding fouling, understand ball position, understand certain plays they're going to take away from you and you can take advantage of them because you can go opposite what they want. For instance, I mean, some teams will guard the three. You know, if it's a three-point lead for them, they'll guard the three, you know, with about 12, 13 seconds. Well, you should go for the two, not three. Take the two, foul them, hope they miss one. Now it's a two-point game. I mean, those are the different things that you'll figure out about the league and, and learning how to win. And then staying with the hot hand. You know, Tyler Eulis late in that game, and I made a, I made a comment about it. Uh, he came down early in the shot clock, and he took a quick shot, got it blocked. And my, my statement was, why is he doing that when he's got two players that's got 35 each and you're the point guard? I don't care if you open or not. Give the ball to the high guy. Yeah, Mike James did that too. A couple yeah, times during the game. Exactly. And as the point guard, that's kind of their job to do the opposite of that. I mean, yeah. I mean, the only people who are allowed to do early uh, sh- uh, shots early in the shot clock is Warren Booker anyway. And even if they aren't hot. <laughs> well, your stars always have to touch the ball early. And then if something opens up for you later, fine. But yeah. you don't go down and, and, and decide, okay, I'm going to do this. When you have – now, if you're hot, different story. Tyler Eulis is – is hot and he's making buckets. Okay, so be it. But when you have two guys hot, no, no, you want to make sure they get that chance because they're in a zone and players in a zone, they make the big shot. And so that that's my only point of contention. But it's a young team; they don't understand it yet, uh, but they will. 
Yeah, I think I mean I'm I think I'm older than everybody except for uh, uh, Chandler and Dudley, so it's ridiculous. Um, uh, so also on that thing, the last couple of games except for this game, Booker was very passive in terms of not looking for a shot. Do you think that I mean? We can speculate about why that happened, but is he just trying to like get people involved, or was he just tired after all this defensive effort he's uh, outputting? I'm gonna give the credit to uh, San Antonio and Orlando's defense. See, if I'm gonna give the credit to an offensive player for destroying a guy, well, I'm gonna give credit to the defensive player for causing that guy not to have a good shooting night. See, and that's that's the that's the biggest. That's the biggest, I would say, pet peeve of of a guy in the league that everybody has put him into a role. Like they've said, that's what he does. For instance, myself, I was known as an offensive player. They never gave me credit for, for trying to play defense, right? Even when I did, they would say the guy was off. So, so if, I'm, like, if I'm guarding, uh, say, Michael Jordan, he has an off night. Then they'll say, oh, he's just off. They won't say that was my defense. But on the opposite end, you know, if he's destroying me, then they'll say it's my defense. Yeah. So, I mean, you can never win with that when you're talking about great players and and being in their atmosphere. You know, they're always going to lean toward them and whatever. And you learn that as a guy that, you know, probably is labeled as one-dimensional. And, and, and so if you're Devin Booker, you know, I thought they played good D on him, but I also thought because of that good D, he lost his aggressiveness. He tried to facilitate to his teammates and then he tried to turn it on late. And by then it's too late. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And he can't, he can't be that guy right now. He doesn't have enough mature ammunition on his team to be able to take a step back like a la a LeBron can or Steph Curry can. Can't do it because they have too many. They got too much ammunition on their team. They can afford to do it. But Devin Booker has to be aggressive offensively from the time he leaves the locker room. I'm pivoting to a little bit different thoughts. What are your thoughts on how the Bledsoe situation played out? Just kind of briefly to get to other, some other stuff. Well, disappointing. I mean, I, I like. I happen to really like Eric Bledsoe, and I think most of everyone in the organization did as well. Uh, but, you know, when somebody wants to move and somebody wants a new home, I mean, you know, and they let it be known, then obviously you're going to look to see if you can make it happen if it best suits your, your franchise. And and so for Eric Bledsoe, I'm happy he's on a very good team in Milwaukee, but I'm disappointed that he's not here anymore. Yeah, and the way it happened for me was just kind of like uh, there's always the people are like trade value is always this interesting buzzword where – the trade value goes down because someone wants to be traded, but it's like if he didn't want to be traded, then he probably wouldn't be traded. Um, so it's 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 a very kind of dichotomy there. Mm-hmm. Um, during your career, were ever around a situation like the Bledsoe one, like anything toxic? I mean, you don't have to name names or anything, but like, what was it like back then? Yeah, look, I'll just put it this way: I would probably surmise out of the four hundred and what fifty players in the NBA. Every night, probably 10 of them calls their agent and says he wants to be traded. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, it goes on all the time. It just doesn't get public. But an agent is never done after he signs the contract. That's when his work begins. And he's going to get all the vitriol and all the all the negative 
stuff that surrounds a player, he's going to get it in his ear. And a lot of times, you know, that player is going to want to get out. So, no, it doesn't surprise me. It's a normal occurrence within the NBA. But it's also an emotional, uh, quick-thinking response to something that that player might view as negative. And then the next morning when they wake up, they don't feel that way. So, you know, it goes on all the time. I mean, I, I've done it. I've, I've wanted to be traded. Uh, so it, it's... It's just, it's an emotional game. Uh, it's a lot of pressure put on you as an athlete. You want to play. The worst thing a, a coach or an organization can do to an athlete is take his minutes. That's it. It's take his minutes. Because that's what we live to do, was play the game. And if you stop playing, uh, we're not going to have a good time. It's also just a, it depresses your future earnings. It depresses, it depresses the, the impact that you can be perceived as having on the court. It's hard, when you don't have your minutes, you can't show what you're made of. Can't it's work. Really, can't do it. Um, continuing with that kind of same theme, the whole, what's your take on the whole McDonough stuff and the perception of how Phoenix has treated its players over the last few years? I was so against it. It just, people go too far with it, but I want to hear your take. I just think it's work in progress. I think sometimes emotions get the best of everybody. And I think everybody has to grow within an organization. It's on both sides. You know, an organization will tell you. I mean, McDonald's been on record and said he wish he got a mulligan on the Isaiah Thomas trade. See, nobody can do it 100% correct. Uh, front office for, for any sport is, is almost like being a politician. You know, you're not going to have everyone on your side. Any deal that you make, it's not going to be 100% support. It's going to be somebody that does not agree with it. Uh, every contract that's signed, somebody's going to have a negative thought about it. It's just the nature of the business. You know, in, in basketball, in any sport, you're taught that you, you have to have a, a forgetful gene, and you can't carry stuff with you. You just can't. If you carry it with you, it's going to really combine and then it's going to make it worse. It's going to compound itself and just make it worse. So what you do is you live with your decision, you live with how you handle it, you learn from it, and you move on and hope you don't make that same mistake again. And so that's why I say, you know, when a player becomes disgruntled, then, you know, the organization has to look and say, okay, what didn't we do see this coming? And and so it's on both sides. I mean, it's no one to blame. It's just more of, you know, I wish it could have gotten taken care of before that. Yeah, and kind of a, also non out in the public, um, and also not so close to the trade deadline. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, McDonough's done some really good things, and people forget like they, with the Bledsoe trade. I mean, he gets traded, and they're like, oh, it's a great asset that was gone. It's like. Uh, he got him basically for a second rounder and Dudley, but you got Dudley back, so it's a second rounder. And you barely, I mean, you paid him relatively to everybody, all, all these other contracts being handed out, a very cheap contract. You didn't spend all this capital. You didn't trade everybody you had. He's brought in all these assets. Before he was here, there were no assets. There was all older people who were only okay, and they weren't going anywhere. And he comes in, and now they have a ton of assets, ton of ability to do something, flexibility, and more of a knowledge of the thing. And I think that James Jones, I was listening to him in the, on the pregame show one day, I think bringing him in will really help uh, in the long run, the next several years, with the um, player uh, part of, the, of, of being in basketball executive. What do you think? Well, I mean, 
it, well, the jury's going to be out on anybody. And James Jones will tell you that. I mean, he's got work to do. This is a new capacity for him. Uh, and he's got work to do. And he'll be judged, you know, along the, along the process like everyone else. I mean, I'm judged every night on calling games. I mean, you're held accountable uh, for your job, whatever your job description might be. And James Jones has won some titles. He's gone to seven straight championships, so you know he has the knowledge. You know he, you know he understands how to deal with teammates because a lot of those championships he didn't even he didn't sniff two three minutes on the floor. And there was so much drama. Yeah, well, it's always drama. It's always drama on good teams. Yeah, they have to be. They're good for a reason. The biggest fallacy that's going on around the league. And I happen to spend a lot of time with the Golden State Warriors in the preseason because I do my radio show there. Uh, we'll do a training camp tour. But the biggest fallacy is that the Golden State Warriors just all are just happy-go-lucky all the time. You know, no no professional franchise are, is just happy all the time and everything's going good. That's because no person is. <laughs> yeah, Golden State just does a great job of keeping it in-house. And their players do a great job of keeping it in-house. They're professionals. Yeah, they're professionals. They know how to do, be professional in the professional environment and not take make things go too far, for sure. Um, so, kind of, we've maybe have already talked finished this question up. But what will fix the perception of the Suns around the league? Just winning or time? Winning. You gotta win. You gotta win. I mean, no one, no one attaches themselves to a, a losing team and say, "Okay, they're fine." You know, you got to win. I mean, and, and that's the ultimate goal is always to win. It, it's nothing else. Yeah. Last week, someone told a story about the same, and they kind of uh, made me a little more calm about this exact thing. The Toronto Raptors, before um, when Masai Ujiri was brought in, they were thought the same way as the Suns are now. And after winning and continuing to improve and becoming a 50-win team uh, perennially, um, there, there's, there's not the stigma anymore. And, uh, same thing with the Warriors and the Clippers before, I mean, the Clippers were really bad for a long time. Same thing with the Warriors. And, uh, then now, um, anybody that's following, just seeing the league this last couple of years would never have thought that. A lot of luck involved in, in winning. We did a podcast, I think you know, and Marcus Thompson did, covers the Warriors. Uh, we did a podcast about how the Warriors, um, were built over the last seven years. There is so much luck involved and skill and, and the right person in the right place and the personal relationships and the ability to uh, encourage and motivate your team and as a coach for Kerr. It's amazing, all the different uh, aspects of that. So, actually, I want to hear some stuff about your playing career. Uh, tell me a story of your favorite game you were a part of. I mean, I had a lot of them, but I would think uh, one was uh, against the Clippers in 1989, I believe. It was 88-89 season. So it could have been 88 at the beginning of the season. And, uh, you know, we were playing the Clippers, and Reggie Williams from Georgetown was a rookie. And they had Danny Manning. They had Charles Smith. I mean, a lot of talented young players on that team. Benoit Benjamin, uh, Quentin Daly was on that team, uh, Norm Nixon, I believe. And, uh, you know, Reggie Williams was talking smack, you know, which is what I love. That's a part of what makes me up. I try to seize the moment when players do it. And I remember in that first half, you know, he was defending me pretty well. And I think I was like one for five or one for six, whatever. I didn't, didn't really shoot the ball well. I didn't really get a lot of shots. I, I know at the end of the half, I stole the ball, went down, got a layup. 
And as I was walking into the locker room, I told Kevin Johnson, I said, look, get me the ball early in the third quarter. And because I wanted to prove a point to, to, you know, to Brady Williams, who's talking this junk. He doesn't know me. I've been in the league up to that point. I think that was like my seventh or eighth year. And, uh, I asked him, I said, do you, do you, uh, do you go on the internet and see who you're messing with? And he laughed and, and so I came out and I must have ran off about six straight shots. I mean, just destroying them. And I only had two points at half. And so near the end of the game, game was close. Uh, I had drove down the baseline and Benoit Benjamin, and this game is on YouTube too, so you can look at it. You can check it out. Okay. It's 43 points in six minutes in my highlights. That's how it's worded. And I drove baseline and I threw up a shot and, uh, it went in. And as I was falling out of bounds, Arsenio Hall was sitting there and he jumped up and he's like, are you kidding me? I said, no, I'm not kidding. You're going to get some more. <laughs> and I turned to their bench and I walked past Gene Shu, the coach. And I said, you need to put somebody else out here. And it, it just started going with me. And long story short, like I said, you can go on YouTube, check it out. 43 minutes, six, six minutes or less. Uh, I had 43 in the second half. And, and so, you know, they won the game, believe it or not. I missed a shot, uh, to, to send it into overtime, I think. Well, not to win the game. And, uh, so they wound up winning. Uh, but that was probably my best offensive game I've ever had because I, I was cold. I went from cold to hot. And I try to tell young players all the time, it's, yeah, it's, it's easy to get out of your slump after you stunk up the game. Then you go to practice the next day and work on it. You come back, have another, you have a good game the next game. I say you're a pro's pro when you can stink it up in the first half and figure it out. And then come back and drop 43 in the second half. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really the going from cold to hot is really hard. And that's why I think you during the broadcast say Warren needs to get a layup, Booker needs to get some free throws so they can get that rhythm so they're able to make those shots that we know they can make. Exactly. I mean, I think that's, that's the, that's the beauty of an offensive player. You know, you don't pigeonhole yourself and try to get yourself out of a slump at the weakest part of your game. No, you, you, you go with your strength and your strength is, you know, if you're TJ Warren, it's your mid-range game is driving to the hole. It's shots that every, it's a bad shot for every other person in the league except for him and good shots for everybody else in the league. Corner threes are a shot he should never take. Well, again, it, it, it's, it's what makes up your ability to sustain yourself in this game. And for me, I was mid-range. I didn't, I, people, I laugh at people. They tell me I was a three-point shooter. No, I was not. Look at look at my numbers. I was not. I didn't make my living on shooting threes. I shot them when I had to. I shot them when I was hot from everywhere else. Yeah, but it wasn't a shot that I would. It, it would I would have a hard time in today's game starting the game off taking threes. It's just not, it wasn't in my vernacular. It wasn't in my mode of thinking. As a back to it, my my mode was layup, mid range shot, free throw line. And then I build out from there. But I never was one to start out and try to build myself in. 
Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, on to some of these players. I think Chris has been putting it together really a lot lately, the last couple of games. I mean, the three-stroke is kind of pretty good for him. His ability to do these little um, kind of jump-stop, turn-around, and a little, maybe it's a five, six-foot floater. It's not really a floater, but it's like a, he's not, he's too close, to, he's too far away to dunk it, but uh, he's, he's doing a little turn-around, um, hop little thing. Um, but he's doing some really good things. What do you think he needs to do to take it to the next level, and how good do you think he can be? Concentrate on playing ball and let the officials alone is one. Uh, two, forgetting his mistakes and moving forward. And just three, making sure he stays in situations where he knows he's confident in where he wants to shoot the ball. I mean, those are all things that you would tell a young player, and he's going through it right now. You know, he's got a question for everything that happens against him. That that right there is really what I call trying to escape embarrassment. Mm, I like that, that you've been saying lately on the games. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, because he's, you know, if he makes a mistake, he wants to blame. If he misses a free throw, you know, he carries it with him. Uh, if he commits a foul, no, I did not. And all those things are situations where he just needs to just forget about it, move on, because those things are part of basketball. And everyone that plays the game is going to be affected by that sometime or another during the 48 minutes they're out there. Who do you think you can be like in the game today or maybe somebody you played with? Who, like, what do you think is his best, um, not best case scenario, but someone who will, he'll probably become? It's hard right now uh, because I think his true value probably will eventually be in the paint. And I think he can become that kind of player in the paint and can be dominant in there. And every now and then, okay, you step out and take a three. But it's not the lifeline that you go to every time you want to make a shot. And I, I just think that, you know, he has a lot of different ways he could go. I truly believe if, if he doesn't go the route of being a physical presence in the paint, then he's going to be an inconsistent player on the perimeter. So, yeah, because I view him that way, and uh, hopefully he'll figure that out. So do you think he should have put on a bunch more weight and try to be a five, or is he like a good a four a, a, or a four that could play five when they go they go small? He just has to get stronger. Weight is weight is overrated. I've 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 played against guys. You look at them, you think they knocked me around the gym, and yet no balance, uh, not really as strong as they look, and I would abuse them. Well, that's the same thing that I've noticed. Um, I think maybe you said it. Um, Isaiah Thomas versus Ulyss, the difference there in the strength because of the age and they've put in, Isaiah Thomas has put in the work and they're about the same height. But I mean, we're, we're watching Ulyss sometimes get pushed around. Obviously he's small, but you're not seeing Isaiah Thomas, though also not as good on defense. Both are not good on defense. Ulyss is probably better or more tenacious at least. But Isaiah Thomas doesn't get pushed off as much and he, he's also able to get his shot in the lane more because he's able to use his physicality. Yeah, well, again, you know, he has a he has a, a big, strong body. And, and Tyler Ulyss, if he stays in the weight room, if he continues to work hard on other aspects of his game, then he'll be there as well. I mean, it's a, it's a process. I mean, you got to understand, you get 19-year-old kids coming to the league. Well, when I was 18, 19 years old, I was a, a freshman going to my sophomore year. I weighed 185 pounds, but I could never put on weight. But for myself, but from the end of my 
freshman year to the end of my sophomore year, I went from 185 to about 225, 230. Okay, so it's a period of time where your body starts to take off. So I don't expect Tyler Hughes to be at his body size yet. He's growing into it. You know, Marquis, same way. Uh, it's going to take a while to build into your muscle mass uh, and, and, and get those things done. So that's the negative of 19-year-olds of coming into the league because I can argue that they probably should still be in college. That gives them a time time to understand diet, to lift weights, to get stronger. And then when they do come in the league, they're not pushed around. They, they're pushing other people around. So, but, you know, right now that's not how it is. Uh, freshmen come into this league every year in abundance. And uh, until they change it, uh, I think we're still going to see young players just not ready physically to play the game. I mean, that obviously is a good transition to Bender. I mean, Bender is, I don't, he's interesting because he's been playing really well defensively lately. Just so is Chris. But it's, I mean, Bender with his defense, his threes. But I think he obviously needs to put on weight too. I think even more than Chris, ideally, he's a five of the future if he puts on the strength that you're talking about the way to put on what 50 pounds he has to put on at least well you know again again you know when you say weight you know I kind of shy away from that he's got to get stronger you know Buck Williams weighed about 235 240 I guarantee he's one of the strongest guys in the league so the the weight doesn't matter It's, it's it's is he lifting and getting stronger and and that's the key that's always my mindset uh, and yeah, he will. He's gonna get that way just because of just the gradual aging of, of everyone's body and, and, and how it changes on him. I mean, so he, he's definitely gonna, uh, put on weight. The good thing is, is it good weight? Is it good muscle? Or is it bad weight and no muscle? Yeah, that's, that definitely happens with some players. And Jackson, I'm watching Jackson and he is, Special. He's like, he's springy. I mean, he's Miriam-esque as Warren is at different, different ways, different times. But they, I mean, his, his ability to push that shot off the glass, um, as he drives on him and he's, once he gets stronger there, that's going to be a dunk. That's going to be, um, something really he's able to get to. And he's going to tighten up his, uh, dribble a little bit for sure. But in the, in the transition game and defense, he's doing, he's, he's excelling pretty well. Of course, he's still a rookie, which means that those defensive concepts, the uh, flow of the game, the speed of the game are really kind of escaping him a little bit. But he's gonna, he's gonna be something special, I think. He's gonna be fine. As long as he continues to play hard. He continues to play hard and pays attention to, to detail, listens to his coaches, uh, gets in the gym, especially in the off season. Without anybody looking and work hard, and obviously he's going to work hard when people are there, he'll get better. I mean, that's just how it works. I mean, you get better. I mean, the, the peak of a basketball player, in my estimation, is 25, 26 years old. So the player that you see now in Josh Jackson, I would like to think by the time he's 25, 26, he's going to be probably about five to ten times better. And if that's the case, then the Suns are going to have a tremendous basketball player. For sure, for sure. His shot needs to get a little better and needs to be smoother, less to have a hitch there. And he has a lot of arc for somebody, though. My goodness, he and Bender need to just split the difference on the arc. Like, Bender needs more and Jackson needs less. Yeah, it's two words too much. And you're right, Bender needs more and and Jackson, he needs, he needs less. But the reason why he does it is because he understood that he wasn't making many shots unless he did that. And a lot of it is because of his mechanics. A lot of it is because the rotation of his of his shot. 
All those things come into play. It's no different. Shooting is no different than when you play golf. I mean, some people can't hit the ball straight unless they're basically got one foot in front of each other, their bodies <laughs> have turned, they, they don't have a full backswing. I mean, they go through all the things to make the shot go straight, and then that's an issue. That, that turns into bad mechanics. And so now that shot's only going to go straight every now and then. Whereas the jump shot, same thing. You gotta have good mechanics in order to have that ball give you a chance to go in. Right now he doesn't, and hopefully he'll work on it and get better, because if he doesn't, then it's not gonna be good for him, because he's gonna, he's gonna have nights where it was pretty obvious it was because of his shooting. I mean, if he doesn't work on his shot, he's Andre Roberson, and he's better than that, so he, he needs to, I mean, he'll get it, but you don't want to tweak it or tinker with it too much during the season, because then he's going to mess up his confidence and mess up his, his, uh, thought process as a rookie, you especially. Know, say that, you know, Eric, people say that, and, and they, and they're making this statement about Lonzo Ball. Oh, yeah. So they're saying, well, he can't change his shot during the season. Really? I think when you're only shooting 24%, <laughs> why not? Why not get a head start? Why not get a head start? Because 24% not helping anybody. So my point is, it, it's, it's like anything else. I mean, I go golfing and sometimes I have an emergency driver, meaning I'll change everything if I'm not hitting it pure. And I'll change it to this way, which is not natural, but I know it's going to put the ball in the fairway. So, I mean, everybody has a backup plan. And so along the process of improving his shot, he can have a backup plan. He's not going to mess up what he's working on. The, the body is amazing how it remembers what you want it to do. For sure, yes. for sure. If you work hard enough, you can get it. I mean, and that, that's how I look at shooting. I mean, I'm, I'm 58 years old, and I guarantee you I can walk in that Phoenix Suns gym right now, and there's probably only two players in that gym. Well, I would say really one. There's only one player in that gym that's gonna that's gonna just probably sit me down and give me a run for my money. And that's Devin. Other than that, I think I can outshoot every player on that team. Was Troy Daniels the other one? Uh, I would outshoot him because all he shoots is threes, and I'd like him to start shooting mid-range shots to soften up his touch. So who's the other one then? That's the question. Huh? Who's the other one then? Who are you? No, Devin. That's it. Okay. The, okay. Yeah, Devin. Yeah. Devin's the only one. He's got something else, yeah. Um, what about golf? What do you what do you like the most about golf? Golf reminds me of playing. I mean, it's it's it's, it's something that you can't master. And the course plays defense on you. Your mind plays defense on you. Uh, and it's rewarding when you hit a good shot. And it's disappointing when you don't make a make a shot. I mean, you get you get four different varieties of shots for the most part: your driver, your iron play, chipping, and putting. And so it challenges you to no end. I love it. Just got off the course right now. And I, I love the aspect of that game and how it challenges me uh, as a player and then as a person because it can make you lose your mind. Yeah, I definitely have some self-control. It's hard. It's, when I golfed, man, self-control and the ability to uh, be professional when you're out there is really good. Um, any final thoughts about the Suns team as they go in this, um, what would, what is kind of a, it's obviously still a rebuilding year and, uh, any advice for them as they, um, do this year with where they have two veterans and that's it. Keep working hard. I mean, nothing's guaranteed. It's going to be very difficult to make the playoffs. It's got to just work hard every game. I mean, that, that's it. No expectations. 
None. Just work hard. Because I know if you work hard and you pay attention to your coach, you're going to do well. I already know it. I've lived that as a part of my basketball career, and I live it in everything that I do. I just think if you put forth the efforts, then good things will happen. And if they're not happening, then you go practice more. You go fights till you get it. You don't quit. You know, no such thing as quitting. You keep moving forward, and all of a sudden, you're going to look up and say, I've mastered it. And as long as you're breathing, I think that should be your approach in everything that you do. This is more of a prognostication thing I just thought of. Do you think that either Knight, Ulyss, or Mike James should be or is the point guard of the future-ish, like next two years? No, Booker should not be the point guard. Uh, no, Brandon Knight, Mike James, or Ulyss? Oh, uh, I think it's open. I don't think it's guaranteed to anybody. You know, when you're losing, nothing's guaranteed. So that's how I look at it. I think it's open for anyone. I mean, they all have their strengths. They all have their weaknesses. So, you know, it's if it comes down to those three only being on the roster together, then I think they would go into any training camp competing with one another because neither of them would, would know or felt like they have the starting spot. And even if they got it initially to start the season, there's no guarantee that they would keep it. Yeah, I think that unless they bring someone in in the off season, because, I mean, it seems like any draft pick they get at the top is going to be a different position um, than point guard. I think there's definitely going to be very flowing unless uh, some stuff happens in the off season. Well, Eddie, this has been fantastic. I don't think I have any other questions, but I'd love to, for you to want to plug your stuff that you got on. You got your radio show. You got your book. Why don't you tell us yeah. what it is, and then we'll get out of here. Well, first of all, I have I have an instructional video. Uh, it's called uh, it's Jump Shot Club. Okay, it's Eddie Johnson's offensive skills uh, video. It's a ninety minute video, and it's done extremely well. I, I did the video back in two thousand three or four, and I've, I've sold thousands of copies, uh, and kids still buy them. And I just encourage parents, you know, when you're trying to teach a kid the mechanics of, of shooting and offensive skills, just go to Amazon and pick it up. Just type in Eddie Johnson, uh, Jump Shot Club, uh, offensive skills uh, video, you'll find it. And I, it's very inexpensive now, and it's worth its weight and gold. It comes with drills and everything. Uh, my book, sat down and wrote it, Eric. Uh, I just went in, went in my office one day, man, and I just sat there for like two, three weeks on end. I mean, eight, nine, ten hours a day, and I just decided I wanted to write a book. And I wanted to write it for athletes in general, but the book is done well. I mean, corporations read my book. Uh, it's a motivational book, and it's called You Big Dummy. Yeah. And, my picture is on the, and my picture is on the cover. And I just talk about all the different things, do's and don'ts of becoming a great athlete, okay? having success. And that's part of even if you don't make it as the athlete, guess what it does? It parlays you over into the real world, into a working environment, because most working environments are teams. And just as a young man growing up, just different pitfalls you can fall into that I try to help you avoid in my book. Uh, and, so it's called You Big Dummy, and they can get that on Amazon as well. Or they can go to my website, JumpShot8, well, no, Eddie Johnson 8, okay? Or they can go to Amazon 
and 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 pick that up. EddieJohnson8.com, or they can go to Amazon and pick it up. Uh, and then you know my radio show that you listen to every now and then. Uh, you know I do on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Uh, we're on uh, East Coast time, uh, four to seven, all the, every day of the week. Uh, for people out here in Arizona, it's uh, two to five. Uh, we're on every day. Uh, it's on channel 86, NBA radio. And it's, to me right now, it's the top radio show on NBA radio. Uh, we are the drive time hosts and, uh, we bring people up till the game starts. And, uh, Justin Termini is my co-host and, uh, we have a tremendous time in doing that. And obviously calling Suns games. Uh, been doing that for 17 years and, uh, it's a piece of cake. I enjoy my job. I love my franchise. I want them to win. Uh, I encourage the players. And uh, I'm just waiting for that opportunity to be able to walk out there and be a part of this team winning the championship. And uh, that's my that's my hope. And uh, hopefully it happens soon. <laughs> right? Totally. I, I can't. I would be. I would, don't even know what I'd do myself if they won the finals. That'd be amazing. Well, definitely. I'm I definitely check out this book. So I'm gonna check it out because. Uh, one, I have a basketball development company, so I'm going to take a look at those offensive skills and see if they can help me uh, teach players some stuff because I have a – it's called Elite Hoops Development for those who are listening to the podcast. Um, definitely check that out on EliteHoopsDevelopment.com. If you're in here in Phoenix and your kid or you are trying to learn how to play basketball better, um, and that we'll definitely take a look at those offensive skills. Um, and also check out the Stolar Insights podcast. You can uh, you can download it on either iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And uh, we'll be doing another one soon. And uh, thank you so much, Eddie. Have a great night. All right, Eric. Appreciate it. Take care.